Um, we are going straight through the book of Mark. We started Mark chapter 1, verse 1 on September 18th, and now we're Mark chapter 7. We're about halfway through. Um, and this passage is a very fascinating passage because it something happens in this passage that does that seems counterintuitive it doesn't it runs against the grain of what we think of when we think of Jesus so let's just jump right into it um, and uh, and then we'll we'll talk it out mark 7 24 to 37 and from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon and when it says from there he arose it was from where he was right before then he was talking with the Pharisees if you remember and there was a discussion uh, between him and the Pharisees. So he goes up to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and this is Jesus, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. He was hiding out, uh, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, and here's the, here's the line that's so puzzling. Uh, let the children, he said, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. <laughs> not what you want to hear when you come to seek God's help. But that's, nevertheless, there it is. Uh, and he said to her, uh, uh, let, the, let the children be fed first. Uh, for it is not right to take children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat under the table. Eat the, uh, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he sighed. And he said to him, Ephthatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. Uh, that happens throughout the book of Mark. He's always saying, please don't tell anyone that I did this. And then they immediately go out and they tell everyone. Um, which is sort of the opposite of, uh, of what happens in a lot of churches today, where, where, where churches say, go out and tell everyone. And everybody goes, eh, I don't know. I'm not really going to tell anybody. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and Jesus charged them to tell no one. Uh, and they more zealously pro- proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So I want to focus on the, that line, that line, that famous two-sentence line that Jesus says, you know, it's not time, he basically says, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Um, the first question that comes to mind is, what in the world is he talking about? Why did he say this? Why did he call her this? Uh, he seems to be implying that she's a dog. He seems to be indicating you know, that she fits within the second category. Um, there's a, uh, let me show you quickly a map uh, where he is. This, if you see up at the top of the map, Tyre and Sidon here, 
<clears throat> Most of Jesus's ministry was right there around Galilee, uh, Capernaum, Nazareth, right around in there. After months uh, of ministering in that region and being literally swarmed by thousands of people who wanted his uh, who wanted his attention, who wanted his healing, who who sought his counsel, he finally sort of escaped for a few days and wanted to get up to Tyre and Sidon. This was not a Jewish region. This was a Gentile region. This was a region that uh, was not as familiar with him, although clearly his fame had sort of spread up there. But at least he was able to, he wanted to try to get away. He went up there to hide out, to recover, to relax, um, and uh, not to minister. He did not explicitly go up there to preach or to heal or anything like that. Um, He's coming up there trying to get away from the crowds and along comes this woman that hears about him she's heard of his reputation uh she's coming to him because she's heard of him as a healer and as a prophet and as a man of compassion and as a man who has great wisdom and so she seeks him out despite the fact that she is not a a jew she doesn't observe the same religion as him uh she is a, a canaanite woman okay so she's a syrophoenician which means, and she was in the Hellenized region up there, which means that the Greek culture had had uh, had spread up in that area. So she was a she was a, a pantheist. She was not a um, she was not a Jehovah God worshipper. Uh, she had adopted the Greek religion of, of worshiping, you know, Hades and Dionysus, and um, and and she was um, and and her cult, her culture was Greek as well. Um, and yet, when she approaches Jesus. She approaches him in the language of his story. And now, what's important, we're going to get a lot into whose story you're a part of, okay, in this sermon. But she approaches him and says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David is a, is a messianic title. It's a title that would, would be, a tri- it's the title that we would attribute to Jesus, it's the title that we who are followers of Christ, those of us that are, would say, Jesus, son of David. He's part of this lineage. He's part of this, uh, uh, this prophetic lineage. He's the Messiah. She is not even in that religion. She's not in that story, and yet she attributes that title to him. That's a title that even his own, the rabbis and the Pharisees uh, and the scholars and the, and the rulers of his day would not attribute to him, even though um, you know, they were part of the same tradition. But she comes up and she, she, she calls him this name and she shows him incredible deference. She throws herself at his feet and she begs for his help. Um, so she is doing, in this moment, she's doing everything that one would think that she should do uh, if she really, really wanted something from God. If she really wanted you know, God's touch. If she, she, she humbled herself, she throws herself at his feet and she begs uh, for his help. And his response is shocking to the modern ear. His response is, seems insensitive. It seems insulting. It seems rude. Uh, he says it's not right to take food from the children and give it to the dogs. Um, we have a dog. <laughs> Our dog doesn't wait for anyone to give him the food because our dog knows that we have two boys that are about dog height. And so, in fact, just the other day, Jameson had one of his favorite Hawaiian rolls 
and he's happy and he climbs down from the table and he's standing on the the floor and we're talking and like it was just like a little brown flash out of the corner of my eye this little yorkshire terrier milo sir milo comes and grabs the bread and is gone and jameson's face went from to oh you know i mean he just it is so it's so frustrating for jameson and lincoln when milo steals their food um but we, we get the image that Jesus is, you know, evoking here. You've got children at the table. They're eating. And he's saying, hey, it's not right for me to take the bread off the table and give it to the dogs while the children are eating. Um, if One thing I love about this line, as troubling and paradoxical as it is, one thing that I love about it is that it lends credibility to the Scripture. If, this, if, if the early church were trying to cook the books, as it were, if they were trying to develop religious propaganda... Uh, that, you know, was, was promoting this sort of false image of this God or of this man, um, this is one of the lines that you would leave out. Uh, if you're an editor, if they came to me, if I was back there in early church times and they said, hey, we really want to reach out to the Gentiles. We really want to reach out to the non-Jewish population. We want to let them know that God loves them. Um, and we've got this story about Jesus calling a Gentile Syrophoenician woman a dog when she comes and asks for his help. I would say, you know, let's just leave that story out uh, and um, let's just use some more positive imagery as we're marketing our Lord Jesus. But no, they left it in. And I love that about the scriptures is that they left it in because he said it. You know, the only, the only real reason that they would leave something like that in is if it actually happened. So... Um, they leave that in. And in light of the harshness of these words, uh, a lot of biblical scholars have tried to, and you understand why they would, but they have tried to soften the statement to make it seem as if it's not a harsh statement. Um, they point out, and they rightly point out, that in the New Testament, New Testament Greek, there are a couple different words for dog. One is kuon, and that it sort of that sort of evokes this image of the sort of rangy, mangy mutt that runs the streets out in, you know, Jerusalem, okay? And then there's the word kunarion, which is the diminutive form of kuon, which is, it's, it's, like, it's like saying, it's like when you take a word and then you make it a soft, like a smaller word, like if you say dog, and it would be like doggy, okay? So this is the diminutive form of kuon. So, so Jesus didn't say dog, he said doggy. Okay, so these, these scholars would say, you see the ones that are trying to, to sort of make sure that Jesus' reputation is not tarnished. They would say, you see, he didn't really call her a dog like a mangy wild dog. He called her a puppy, like, you know, a puppy, like an endearing little puppy that we love. And, you know, it's like he wasn't insulting her. And, and I get what they're doing, and I, and I, and I, love, their, I love their motivation. Okay, but but I, as you're reading it, you're going, no, I don't. It doesn't really pass the smell test with me. If I, if I told, if I called Rebecca, hey, doggy, you know, I mean, it's like, there's just no way that that's going to fly. And I go, no, 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 I mean it in a, you know, a positive way. It's not going to fly. So we don't we don't necessarily buy that. Um, he he, you know, he uses this word, and he's doing it on purpose. Um, if he truly, completely didn't want to in any way possibly offend her, he was a pretty bright communicator. He was able to articulate his thoughts and his feelings fairly well. Uh, and so he could have said something like, I'm sorry, your time has not come yet. Please come back at a later time. 
He could have said, I understand your urgency, but I'm not actually called to minister to the Gentiles right now. Uh, but I will, you know, my, my apostles will be up here in two and a half years. Don't you worry. Um, there are a lot of ways that he could have addressed her that would have totally taken out any possibility of offense. Uh, but he didn't. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, there are sort of critical scholars uh, that want to attribute a dark, uh, sort of um, mean-spirited, um, cruel, kind of venomous nature to Jesus's writings. So there are certain critical scholars who would say this shows that Jesus, in fact, was some kind of a misogynist. He was a bigot. He was somehow racist. He was, you know, and and they 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 take this they take this phrase and they say, look. This shows that he was no better than the people that he, you know, purported to to correct, and he was in fact a very, very bad guy. Um, that doesn't really pass the smell test either, uh, because for one thing, in the story, he ends up healing her daughter, um, and then all throughout the Gospels, we see him interacting with people of different cultures, and uh, we see him acting with interacting with men or women in ways that are were revolutionary for the time. Uh, you know, he at the, the woman at the well, if you remember in, in Matthew chapter 8, I think, um, he meets a Samaritan woman at the, at the well. And culturally, he's not even supposed to interact with her. And, it, and he demonstrates his love for her. You know, he tells her, he says, look, if you'll drink from the water that I'm giving, then you'll never thirst again. And his disciples are going, why are you talking to this woman? You know, he, he, there, when the Roman centurion came to him uh, and said, my servant is, is sick, can you please heal him? Jesus said, I haven't seen greater faith in all of Israel, and he immediately healed him. Uh, when Jesus would tell, he did, you know, the parable of the Good Samaritan, he explicitly used a, a non-Jewish person to uh, articulate his point, uh, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he makes the Samaritan the hero of the story. So there are m- many, many, many examples throughout the scripture where, where we see that Jesus is not being ethnocentric. He's not being misogynist. He's not being in some way bigoted. That's not what's going on here either. So he's not being super, super, totally unoffensive, but he's not being, he's not being unnecessarily insulting either. So there's something going on here, and it's, it's sort of fascinating what he's doing. Um, I came across a blog this week by a guy named uh, Jeff Ashley, and I loved his take on this passage. And I'm going to just I'm going to kind of give it a little bit to you, uh, uh, what he talked about. Have, has anyone seen Shawshank Redemption, the movie Shawshank, um, uh, Tim Robbins, Morgan Freeman? And there's a scene in there where Tim Robbins' character is walking through uh, the, the, the yard, and an inmate approaches, uh, a guy named Tommy Williams, and he asks Tim Robbins for help. And he says, I need your help because he wants to get his GED. And Tim Robbins' reply is a little jolting. Tim Robbins' character says, I don't waste time on losers, Tommy. And he, you know, starts to walk away. Now, if we watch that scene in isolation, we would say this character is a jerk. This kid's reaching out to him. This inmate is reaching out for his help and trying to get his help. And Tim Robbins' character calls him a loser. But there's something, there's something going on there that's a little bit deeper than we see at first blush. Um, the Tim Robbins character says that to Tommy, not to be insulting, 
but to test his resolve. He's testing his resolve. He says, I don't mess around with losers, okay? But it's not, but then he go, turns around and helps him. So what he's doing is he's testing Tommy's revol- resolve. He's weighing his tenacity. How badly do you want this, Tommy? Do you really want this, Tommy? Where, where are you in your, your commitment to accomplishing this goal? That's what Tim Robbins is saying. It's a challenge. He's issuing a challenge. He's issuing a challenge that is sort of disguised as an insult to see, to an evoke an, a response and see where this guy really stands. I think that in some sense, that's what Jesus is doing here. If you've ever participated in a, in a sporting event or, or a, like a team or something like that that requires a lot of endurance, a lot of times what the coaches will do is they'll bring you in and the first day of practice, they run you like crazy. And by doing so, if you're not committed to being on this team, if you're not committed to, 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 to you know, going for it with this, the first day you go, hey, this isn't for me, and you step away. Je- Jesus is, I think Jesus is sort of, putting out this statement because he knows that this statement is going to evoke one of two responses from this woman. It was, it was strategically aimed, I think, to evoke one of two responses. One is she could have become deeply insulted, demanded an apology, and stormed off. She, could have, it, she would have kept her pride intact. She wouldn't have had to bow down before the Lord, and she would have been able to say, hey, nobody talks to me that way. I'm out of here. She could have done that. Or she could have humbled herself, accepted this characterization that Jesus gave, uh, accepted her role in the analogy, and pressed forward with her request. Ashley, the the blog writer, says, the intention of Jesus' statement was to penetrate and expose a humble posture that is ready to receive the blessing that Jesus had already reserved for her. So he did it not to be offensive, not to be insulting, but to evoke a response from her that, that put her heart in a situation that was open, to put her heart in a, in a place that was humble, that could accept what Jesus had for her. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, The story demonstrates a couple really, really powerful themes, and I just want to talk through them briefly this morning. One is it demonstrates that it demonstrates persistence and it demonstrates humility. Um, the story says basically that the degree of one's persistence demonstrates the depth of their commitment. Okay? The degree of your persistence shows you, shows us, shows God, shows yourself how committed you are to that thing which you are seeking. Uh, we have a one and a half year old, Lincoln, and he likes to get up at around 645. We like when we can to sleep until, you know, 715 would be nice. Um, but he's developed a technique that is incredibly successful. And that is, he stands at the edge of his crib and goes, Mom, 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 Mom. And he does that. And, and you know, we've started to kind of callous over to that. Like, okay, you know, he's, he's not crying. 
So he should be fine, you know. But, but he sleeps in the same room as Jameson. And pretty soon, Jameson goes, ah, I can't take it anymore. And then Jameson comes and starts going, bang, 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 bang on the door and saying, hey, guys, Lincoln wants out of the crib. So he ropes in his brother and, you know, and he just, it's strictly persistence. It's strictly his unwillingness, his resolve, it's strictly his resolve that gets us out of bed. And we're finally like, well, we got to do this. Um, throughout the scriptures, we learn that God completely respects and responds to our persistence. Jesus tells this incredible um, parable in the book of Luke. And I love this parable because it's very unlike many other parables. And he tells this parable about a guy who comes to his neighbor's house at midnight. This guy has some friends come in from out of town, okay? And he doesn't have anything to feed them. He doesn't have any food in the house. So at midnight, he goes to the neighbor's house. And he starts banging on the neighbor's door. And in the parable, Jesus says, the neighbor who's asleep in his bed says, go away, it's midnight, get out of here, leave me alone. But the guy doesn't leave. He keeps banging on the door. And Jesus says, Eventually, that guy is going to get up out of his bed, not because he not because he wants to, not because he has, you know, compassion on your on your friends, your out of town friends. He's going to do it just because you keep knocking. And eventually, because of your importunity, because of your your persistence, your tenacity, the guy's going to come down and give you bread and you can go feed your friends. And Jesus says, this is the way that the kingdom of God is. And that's when he and that's when he offers this great uh, this great. Um, phrase, and he says, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Seek, and you will find. And the, 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 the word for knock and seek and, and ask is not a one-time word. It's a perpetual word. Keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking, and the door will finally be opened to you. You will eventually find. Your, your question will be answered. Just keep banging on the door. Um, throughout the scriptures, we see this over and over. In, in, in Genesis chapter 32, Abraham uh, faces off with God, and God says he's going to go destroy the neighboring city, and Abraham starts to argue with him. And he says, look, if you find 50 people, will you not destroy the city? And God says, okay, if I find 50, I won't. And Abraham says, okay, what about 40? And God says, Okay, okay, if, you, if I find 40, I won't destroy. What about 30? Uh, all right, okay, if I find 30 people, I won't destroy. How about 20? And Abraham keeps going, he gets all the way down to 10. If you find 10 people, will you not destroy the city? And God says yes. God honors this sort of persistence. He honors this, this tenacity, this willingness to keep pushing forward, pushing towards those things which he's promised you, pushing forward towards the dream that he's instilled in your heart. Not giving up, not letting down, not withering under the, the, uh, the, the challenge and the difficulty of it, but pressing forward. Uh, one of my very favorite stories in the, in, the, in the scriptures is Genesis 32, where Jacob, Jacob and Esau, if you remember Jacob, um, is, he, he's about to face his brother Esau, and his brother Esau is a killer. He's a warrior. And, and Jacob, who was a deceiver, and his name means deceiver, had stolen his brother's birthright. 
And here we are years later, and Jacob and Esau, or Jacob is walking through the, 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 uh, the region there, and Esau is coming with 400 warriors, and Jacob is terrified. Uh, and Jacob spends the night on a, a, away by himself, away from the encampment. He crosses the river, and he sleeps by himself that night. And, and the scripture, the story is amazing, where it's sort of a mis- mystery what happens, if it's an angel or what, but comes to him. And, and Jacob sort of takes on this wrestling match in the scripture. He starts to wrestle with God. He starts to wrestle with the angel of the Lord. And, and as the dawn breaks, the angel says, let me go. I'm, I'm leaving. And Jacob says, I won't let you go until you bless me. And the, the angel wants to get away. And, the, and Jacob just holds on and says, I won't let you go until you bless me. And it's not until, so finally the angel in the story smites his hip and, uh, and um, injures him, uh, but he blesses him. He changes his name from Jacob, meaning deceiver, changes it to Israel, which is one who struggles, who wrestles with God. So it's this story throughout the scriptures of persisting, pursuing, persevering, knocking, staying after it that God honors and God respects. And in this story, in this story, Matthew describes it a little more explicitly in the book of Matthew when they're describing the same story about the Syrophoenician woman, the, the disciples uh, tell Jesus, because right before Jesus starts to engage with her and interact with her, in the book of Matthew, it says that she keeps persisting and crying out loudly, Jesus, son of David, please, I need your help, you know? And, and Jesus is not paying attention to her. And the disciples finally come to Jesus, and they say, hey, could you please make her go away? She's totally annoying us. So you, we even get more of this sense of persistence um, in, in, in Matthew as he describes this. Um, there's a, gr- a great couple of quotes I just want to give you. One is John Quincy Adams says, Patience and perseverance have a magical effect before which difficulties disappear and obstacles vanish. Perseus says, He conquers who endures. Romans 5 says, Not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I I read an article about um, um, who is now the light welterweight champion, uh, Lamont Peterson. Incredible story about a young man who grew up in the D.C. area, his father was incarcerated on drug charges. His mother abandoned him. Him and his little brother roamed the streets at night for, for months, uh, fending for themselves. Finally, a, a, a guy saw them and, and brought them in to, uh, to a boxing gym and taught these two boys how to, to fight. And Lamont Peterson has just become the, um, the light welterweight champion of the world, and he's, he's got a fight coming up uh, with a million-dollar purse attached. I mean, the, the, the tenacity, the perseverance, the, the endurance of people like that are, are an inspiration to us. You know, so many times the guy could have quit. So many times he could have dropped out. He could have, he could have very easily said, look, you know, I've been dealt a raw hand. I am just out. I can't, I can't press on. But he didn't. He kept, he kept pressing on. I would ask today, what are, the, what are the areas in your life where you 
want to give up? What's, what's going on in your world where you just want to not persist anymore? You know you should, but you just don't want to. You want to give up. You want to quit. What are those areas for you? And is there, is there a glimmer of hope? Is there a glimmer of strength? Is there a glimmer of courage that would allow you to push forward, to call on God, and to persevere? Sometimes we, you know, sometimes in our lives we have already given up on something. Maybe there's been something in your past where you quit something or you gave up on something or you didn't, you didn't finish something, you didn't accomplish something, and that sort of haunts you. You sort of feel a sense that, gosh, if, if I had only stuck that out, my life would be different. But God can restore and redeem even those failures and those failings that we've experienced in our past. And even if we have made the mistake of giving up before, even if we have made the mistake of quitting something in our past, God can restore and redeem the situation where we are right now and lead us to the life that he wants us to have. He can lead us into the blessing that he wants us to have. And so whether we've given up in the past or whether we're tempted to give up now, I would just encourage you to persevere, to push on, to push forward, to press through. Uh, when we knock and when we press through, we don't do it with a sense of entitlement. We don't do it based upon our own sort of accomplishments. We don't come to Jesus and say, hey, look, I've done A, B, C, and D, so therefore I want you to bless me. We do it through humility. The second glaring theme in this, in this passage is this woman's humility. Her response to Jesus is stunning. Her willingness to accept the role that's designated for her in this little parable, her humility ushered her into Jesus' story and allowed her, listen, to write the ending to the parable. Jesus only gave a part of the parable. And the parable was, it's not right to give bread to the dogs because the children are eating the bread. And she stepped into that parable. She didn't deny the parable. She stepped into the parable, accepted the role that he had attributed to her, and finished the parable. She was able to change the, the outcome by saying, yes, but even the dogs get the crumbs from the master's table. So therefore, I still want you to heal my daughter. I still want you to do what I came to. I'm accepting your... I'm accepting your position. I'm accepting your analogy. I'm accepting the metaphor that you've just given me. I'm accepting my role in it. And here's how my role is going to work out. Here's how my role is going to come around. I'm going to use your story and tell you why I should still get what I've come for. And I love that about her is that she doesn't reject the story. First of all, she started the whole engagement by, by, by being a part of Jesus' story, by saying, Son of David, I know what you're saying. You're the Messiah, and I'm going to step into that, and I'm going to believe that, and I'm going to attribute that to you. And then when he came back at her and pushed back and said, It's not right for you. It's not your time. She said, Yes, but, yes, but even the dogs get the scraps from the master's table. She humbly walked into this role and altered the outcome of the, uh, of the conversation. I love that about her, and, that, and, and I think that that's, that is a huge part of what Jesus is calling us to do throughout the Gospels, okay? And I'll tell you about, I'm going to, I'll emphasize that in just a minute, but 
there are, it's a truism. It's just a truism in life, not just in spirituality, not just in, in terms of our relationship with God, but just in life in general. When we are willing to humble ourselves, humble ourselves, and, and put ourselves into a situation where we're willing to work and do what, what is required of us, we inevitably are exalted. We're inevitably lifted up. Now, when we come with a haughty spirit, when we come with a pride or an arrogance, we, we always get brought low. But when we come with humility, we're raised up. There's a young man named Michael who began his career in the mailroom of the William Morris Agency in 1969. In the mailroom, shuffling mail, oh, delivering mail, putting in a little cart, running it, dropping off at the secretary's office. Uh, his name is Michael Ovens. He's the president, former president of the Walt Disney Corporation and founder of one of the world's most powerful agencies in the entertainment industry, Creative CAA, Creative Artist Agency. I'm not saying we need to be like Michael Ovitz. I'm not saying that you know what our goal is to you know achieve greatness in this life. But what I'm saying is there's a basic principle that pervades all of life, and that is when we humble ourselves, we're exalted. When we allow ourselves to 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 when we when we bow down, we're lifted up. Um, Ursula Burns. A woman named Ursula Burns, raised by a single mother in New York City housing project, took a summer internship with Xerox in 1980. She's now Xerox's CEO and Madam Chairperson. She just was a summer intern, stuck it out, persisted, humility. Um, and there are countless examples, and I won't go through them all, but just countless examples in life and in the scriptures. Uh, St. Augustine says, do you want to rise? Begin by descending. You plan a tower that will pierce the clouds, lay first the foundation of humility. First Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Luke 14 says, for whoever, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the inverse. This is the crazy paradox of the kingdom of God where things are backwards where the humble are exalted and the pride, the, pri- the prideful are, are made low. Uh, Proverbs 22.4 says, Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. I love the U2 line. I thank Bono for this. If you want to touch the sky, better learn how to kneel. I, I mean, you know, if you want to touch the sky, you better learn how to kneel. I love that. It's, a, it's just a basic, deep truth. And that's what this woman is demonstrating in this story. Her response to Jesus, yes, but, yes, but, even the dogs eat the crumbs. I'm, coming, I'm still coming after you, Lord. I'm still coming after what I need. I have a baby that's in, in, that's in a terrible condition. She's, we don't know what's wrong with her. She seems to be uh, taxed by some evil spirit, and I need your help. That's what a mother does. That's what a father does. They reach out, and they're not going to be stopped. They're not going to be turned away by the obstacle placed in front of them. Um, and when we do it with humility, with this no sense of entitlement, but with this humble asking, God, please, let me be part of this story. Then God is faithful to raise us up, to exalt us, to honor us, and to bless us with, with blessings that we did not even dream of. I will just, you know, I, I, this, this, this whole passage speaks to me in a, in, a, in, a, in a deep way, in a personal way. There was a, there was a time, there was a long period in my own life where I just felt like I did not want anyone's help. I didn't want the help of my 
family, my, my parents. I didn't want any help from God or religion or Jesus or anything like that. I just, I wanted to just demonstrate that I could do it on my own. I wanted to prove myself. And I tried really, really hard to do that for a long time. And finally, it came to a point in my life where it just it wasn't working. It just wasn't working. I was doing fine. You know, I was making, I had a career. I was doing everything fine. But my heart just felt empty and shallow and broken. And there was no joy. There was no peace. There was no sense of meaning or purpose. There was just no, there was, my life was just empty. And when I finally got to the point where I started to reach out to people who cared for me, people who loved me, and I, and I started to say, hey, I need help. You know, I need some help. I, I you know, I don't want to humble myself and I don't want to, I don't want you to think that I can't do it on my own. But I, but I'm at a point now where I just, I need your help. And people's response was like, yeah, we know. Yeah, we know, man. Because we all need help too. And we're just, the only difference, Brent, between you and us is that we've already admitted that we need God's help. And you haven't. That's all. We're not better. You're not better. Nobody's better. It's not about that. It's about can you humble yourself and reach out and seek God. And, you know, a lot of us, we... we you know, we part of our story. We we don't want to be part of the story that you know that that says we need help. We don't want that to be the character that we're playing in the story. But that is the character we're playing in the story, whether we know it or not, whether we admit it or not. We're either the character who needs help and knows he needs help and is willing to reach out to God, or we're the character that needs help maybe doesn't know he needs help and doesn't reach out to God. But either way, we're the character that needs help. We need God. Um, I think this story challenges us. I think Jesus challenged this woman, and I think this story challenges us, and I think the gospel challenges us to see ourselves as men and women who are in need of a Savior. If we hear the message of Christ's sacrifice for us and we find ourselves offended by the notion that we need a savior, then we're just not ready for the blessing that God has for us. We're not ready for it. And that's all right because we all, we're all part of, we're all part of this story in, in our own time and God draws people at different times, but that's just where we are. We're on a journey and God is, is, is saying, look, I'm here for you. I love you. I want to help you. I want to reach out. I want to bless you. If we can't admit our own sin, our own lowliness before God, if we cannot admit that we need help, then, then we cannot yet enter into the relationship which the gospel calls us to. But if we do hear the message and we humbly accept our role in the story, believe me, God will pour out his blessings upon us like we could never imagine. With humble persistence, all of us, with humble persistence, let us knock. And knock and knock and knock and knock and knock on heaven's door. Like the baby in the crib who shakes the crib. Mom, 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 mom. Let us be like that with God. God, 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 I need you. God, I need you. If we keep knocking, the door will be open. If we keep seeking, we will find. 
If we keep asking, it will be answered. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this story, for this very puzzling and, and, and paradoxical story where you, you, you seem to insult a woman and yet you're, you're evoking a challenge. You're evoking a, a, a disposition of her heart. We ask, Lord, that you let this story speak into our lives so that we too can humble ourselves and come before you, persistently seeking you, honoring you, loving you, faithfully pursuing you, and ultimately receiving the blessing that you have for us. We know that this woman's child was healed. And God, when we come to you with our needs, we know that you are faithful and that you're just and that you will respond to our needs and that you will answer our prayers and you will answer our petitions. Father, as we go through this week, let this, let this story percolate in our minds. Let us think about instances in our own lives where we need to persist, we need to pursue, we need to persevere. Help us to think about instances in our own life where we may need to humble ourselves. We may need to break down a little bit of our ego and our pride and accept our role in your story, God. Help us, Lord, to, to walk through this week with a joy and a courage and an enthusiasm that is grounded in our love for you and in your love for us. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for calling us into your arms. In Jesus' name, amen.